Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And this week we're talking about Nancy Drew Media, specifically the new CW show and the computer game Midnight in Salem. We also chat about one of our top books of all time, and then each of us has curated a pop culture list for the other. I am, once again, nervous and excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) But first, I want to talk about Nancy Drew, (laughs) because I've been really into it. Did you read the books when you were a kid? I did. I read a lot of the old that were, at the time, in hardcover with like the yellow spine from like the 30s and 40s. And then I did read some of the more modern ones, which at the time were from like the like mid-70s through the mid-80s. So those are kind of my two eras of Nancy Drew. And I probably haven't read one of those since like junior high. So it's been a long time. Yeah, I don't remember them being a big part of my life, but I know my sister had a bunch. Mm -hmm. So I think I read them at one point, but they didn't really... I don't have like those good memories of growing up with Nancy Drew like other people do. Mm Mm-hmm. But somehow I sort of fell into it in the past month (laughs) or so. (laughs) First, I've been playing a PC game called Nancy Drew Midnight in Salem. Mm -hmm. And I picked it because I've been doing fantasy RPGs. And I just wanted something a little bit more laid back, Mm -hmm. a little bit easier. (laughs) Because sometimes I just want an easy game, you know? Yeah, for sure. And this is rated E for everyone. Aw. (laughs) So the premise of this game is you play as Nancy Drew, Mm -hmm. and you start out in Austria, I think, and you're looking for this book about witches. It was written by a judge, and it was like a book detailing who was accused and basically saying that the townsfolk were all wrong and there were no witches and these people and their families should be given justice. Mm -hmm. So the book gets stolen like right under Nancy's nose. And I'm like, come on, Nance. (laughs) (laughs) Get it together. (laughs) But then she, she gets called to Salem by a friend. So there's this girl named May Perry, who is accused of burning down the Hathorn house, which was a nice old house constructed by a judge a long time ago, who was a judge in the Salem with trials. So the house has been burned down. And May has a history of arson, so everyone just assumes that she did it. A friend of the family's calls Nancy Drew to help get May off the hook. And you're just kind of running around Salem and interrogating people and picking up clues. And it's very, very silly, but I I like it a lot. At one point, the Hardy Boys show up, (laughs) (laughs) which is very fun. So you're investigating this arson. But you also, because of the witch aspect, you also think it might be connected to the stolen book. And I haven't gotten to the end of the game, so I don't know exactly how everything wraps up yet, but it's definitely it's definitely intertwined. Cool. But then, also, ghosts might be real. Oh! <laughs> yeah, so there's this person named Olivia, and she does witch tours. Mm-hmm. And you go around the little town square and there's a cemetery right there and you hear about witches and stuff and then past the cemetery is the house but you have to go through some woods Mm -hmm. and nancy sees a ghost (gasps) i know it's pretty scary (laughs) (laughs) so then the hardy boys come by and you get to play as them for a little while oh cool yeah which is neat and specifically you get to play them in the cemetery investigating 
ghosts, basically. <laughs> and one of them has this little meter thing, and you have to like walk around the cemetery <laughs> and see if the frequency changes, if ghosts are around. <laughs> so yeah, it's very, very silly, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. And if anyone like is into computer games, but you want you want something that's not super strenuous, I would definitely suggest this. I'm on the the Nancy Drew wiki, and apparently it is based on Mystery Stories number 33, The Witch Tree Symbol. Mm, okay. So I don't know if you've read that one. I don't know, but it, that sounds so cute. And I just, I went on their website. It's from Her Interactive Media, which is a woman-owned gaming producer. And uh, it's available on Mac, so I might grab this. It sounds really fun. Nice. Yeah, it's it's very cute. I've actually... I mean, for a 32-year-old playing a, a game rated E for everyone, I've <laughs> actually gotten stuck a few times. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's her interactive has forums and I've had to be like, how do you <laughs> how do you finish interrogating suspects about the arse? <laughs> and silly things like that. But it's a lot of fun. It's fun. And just kind of completely randomly after I started playing this game, my housemate and I decided to try watching the recent CW series, Nancy Drew. Mm-hmm. And it started last year, so 2019. It's been renewed for season two, which, like, thank goodness, because I need more of it. <laughs> <laughs> we watched the whole first season in, like, five days, and it's 18 episodes. Oh, nice. So season two is supposed to start in January. One thing that I found was interesting is... The creators behind it are Noga Landau, who I, I'm not familiar with, but the other two are Stephanie Savage and Josh Schwartz, who I am familiar with. And they've done things like Chuck, they've done The Runaways, they've done The OC. I just found that really interesting and surprising when I saw that. Cool. Yeah, and they tend to have like sort of a a more modern sensibility to things, so they try to make things edgy, mm-hmm. which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And this is definitely a bit more of a grown-up Nancy Drew. Mm-hmm. Nancy Drew is played by Kennedy McCann. Georgia George Fan is played by Leah Lewis. Bess Marvin is played by Madison Jaisani. Ned Nick Dickerson is played by Tunji Kasim. And Ace is played by Alex Saxon. So the, that's the main group. And the premise is that Nancy's always been into mysteries since she was a kid. And when when she was 12... She actually solved a mystery of a missing child. And you find out later in the season that there was like a lot of trauma that she pushed down from that. But she she grows up solving mysteries. And then when she's a senior in high school, her mom dies of cancer, I think. Uh-huh. And she's just really devastated. And it kind of puts her off of mysteries because she's like, here's this thing that I couldn't solve. And she's just devastated. So it really just throws her off in life. She had been applying to colleges and stuff, and she decides to take a gap year, basically, although I'm sure she's planning on it being more than a year. So she's 19 when the show opens, and she's been in this small town in Maine since she graduated. She's working at The Claw, which is a seafood restaurant (laughs) run by George. Mm-hmm. And George, like I said, is played by Leah Lewis. The whole cast is really great, actually. Cool. Her friend Bess is another waitress there. And then Ace also works there. And he is more like the cook 
Mm-hmm. And then Ned, who is called Nick in the show, because I guess Ned's an older name. <laughs> yeah, he fixes boats. Okay. In the first episode, it's some sort of town celebration, and there are going to be fireworks, and they're going to close the claw down early for the night. But some guy named Ryan Hudson comes in, and his family is really rich, and they sort of sort of run the town. So Ryan comes in right when the restaurant's about to close, and they keep it open for him and his wife is waiting outside because Ryan's in some sort of like weird business meeting and you get the sense that he's like shady and stuff. And then Nancy brings food out to Tiffany, the wife, outside and like a couple minutes later they find Tiffany dead. <gasps> yeah. So this mystery sort of sets off the story, but there's also a mystery from 20 years ago of a person named Lucy Sable, who was, they have this thing called the Sea Queen, which is sort of like prom queen, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she was crowned Sea Queen. And later that night, she jumped off a cliff into the ocean. <gasps> Tiffany's death kind of gets Nancy back into the mystery game. And she's really intrigued, but she really doesn't want to be. She's like, I just want to live my life and be a waitress and <laughs> not worry about anything. <laughs> But she can't stay away from this mystery. Uh-huh. And as she's investigating it, she and her friends think that they see Lucy's ghost in the video of Tiffany's last moments. So these two mysteries are intertwined. And it's clear from the get-go that the supernatural exists in this world. Uh-huh. So it's never like ghosts are fake there are ghosts and there are weird things that happen and there are curses and it just leans into that. So if that's not your thing, <laughs> you might want to stay away. <laughs> but it's very much like this person could have been killed by a ghost. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I just had a ton of fun with it. I remember going into it being like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this. And halfway through the episode, I turned to Erica and I was like, I am really, really enjoying this. Oh. <laughs> It's just really funny. My favorite thing about it, I mean, the mystery keeps me going, right? Like I I needed to learn some of the answers to some of these questions. But what I really adore about it is Nancy's really standoffish at first. And she does have like these friends, but they're not really friends. They're more acquaintances and coworkers and stuff. But as the series goes on, they start to really become a good friend group. Mm. And they're all they all like really love each other and mm. but they're all some like they're stupid sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes nancy makes really stupid decisions <laughs> and her friends have to be like okay well you're not gonna make that stupid decision alone okay <laughs> <laughs> so it's just really nice to see a group of friends who genuinely likes each other and wants to help each other out even though they're not perfect mm-hmm. because the other thing about that is nancy is sometimes an unlikable character. Mm. Yeah, and I think that is surprising for, you know, being the main female character mm-hmm. on a show, but probably more surprising because, you know, Nancy Drew is such an iconic character mm-hmm. and they they chose to go in that direction. So I I really enjoy that because women don't always get to be unlikable. Mm-hmm. They have to be friendly and put aside slights and grudges and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool. And it also makes for some good character growth, too. And all the characters change in positive and interesting ways. But yeah, I would recommend binging it. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily like 
all in one day or anything. <laughs> but I think one of the things that made it so compelling was I was able to watch it, watch a couple episodes every day instead of having to wait week to week mm-hmm. because some episodes threads get dropped and then they get picked up a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But because I watched them in such close succession, it didn't really bother me as much as it would have week to week, I think. Cool. If that makes sense. Yeah. That sounds really fun. And I I was a big fan and I still am a big fan of Veronica Mars, which is sort of mm. quasi, I think, philosophically akin to Nancy Drew as a yeah. concept. And I want to give a historical shout out to Mildred Wirt Benson was one of, well, she was the first ghostwriter who wrote some of the earliest Nancy Drew mysteries under the name Carolyn Keene. And Carolyn Keene is the name that even current Nancy Drew's books are published under, but it's been a bunch of different people. Mm-hmm. And she she actually wound up living in Toledo in the la- last like 50 years of her life, mostly as a journalist for the Toledo Blade. And so a bunch of her like documents and things are at the Pop Culture Library at Bowling Green State University, my alma oh, mater. Nice. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I also want to mention that I don't I'm a little too young to remember this directly, but there was an older TV show that was an alternating series, The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries, and they would they would all come together for some episodes, but they also would kind of alternate it. So there'd be one week that's Nancy Drew and one week that's the Hardy Boys. And that was on in the late seventies and was fairly popular at the time. Interesting. But yeah, I bet that would be, and like I said, I dimly remember that, but I was too, too little to really be watching it when it was on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be fun to check a couple of those out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, if you check this out, let me know what you think, because I think you would get a kick out of it. And I also wanted to mention that Carson Drew, mm-hmm. Nancy Drew's father, is played by Scott Wolf. Oh, oh, <laughs> that hurts my heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you would like it because you like Scott Wolf, right? Well, I okay. So our friend <laughs> Rachel and I both were rewatching Party of Five a couple of years ago at the same time, and. I actually, well, rewatching, I had never actually seen it. It was on in the 90s, but I, I didn't watch it when it was on. And she had watched it and liked Scott Wolf, liked his character Bailey, who was a teenager. So, like, this is, that's why this hurts my heart a little bit. Um, and I didn't have quite that same. I like Scott Wolf as an actor generally. He's been in some stuff I like. But we both were shocked that Bailey was supposed to be the teen heartthrob of that show when it was on. But he also, when you watch it as an adult, He's awful and just not <laughs> likable and really obnoxious and mean to his sisters and just a oh, garbage fire of a person. So <laughs> it's more an age thing of like, oh, Scott Wolf is not supposed to be old enough to be the father of a young adult, but I gotcha. guess he is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. That's very good. <laughs> oh. Okay. so let's get kw off of that topic (laughs) so one of the things we wanted to do is each pick one of our top books of all time Mm -hmm. and talk about a little bit you seemed like you had an easier time with this than i did (laughs) well i i yeah this is as i mentioned in last week's episode i don't i don't always reread stuff but stuff that i end up teaching i reread a lot because i have to teach it but but one book that I've that I would kind of just reread even little sections. I mean, I have other favorites, like I'm a big fan of The Great Gatsby and there's other stuff that I like, but one that is a nice short book that I think is compelling from a couple of different perspectives is A Room with a View by E.M. Forster. Have you ever read that? I 
don't think I have, actually. I've read other Ian Forster, but not that. Okay. And yeah, I've read other Ian Forster, too. And there's several of his other books that I really like a lot. But this is this is my favorite one. And it's from 1908. And it's I think of it as the quintessential early Edwardian period British novel. And it's also sometimes held up as a template for what would be the sort of quintessential outline of a romance novel. So if you think about it in terms of setting that, like, what do we expect out of a romance novel? And plus, it's it's really, I think, all about the tension between the transition from the Victorian period to the Edwardian period. Okay. And it's about this young woman named Lucy Honeychurch, which is the cutest name ever. <laughs> and the title gets its name from the very opening of the book. She is in Italy with her cousin, Charlotte. And Charlotte, even though she's her cousin, she's her first cousin, but she's a lot older than her. So she comes off much more like an aunt figure. Okay. And they are in Italy on, on holiday. And they've put them in a pensione in Italy, but they don't have their room that they wanted, that it was supposed to have a view. And this father and son who are also traveling have a room with a view. And so Charlotte and Lucy trade rooms with the Emersons, Mr. Emerson and his son, George. And for some reason, Charlotte thinks it's scandalous if Lucy gets the room that used to belong to the son, because <laughs> I don't know if it's just scandalous by association, like they would have both slept in the same bed at different times or whatever, but it's, it's a whole thing. And Lucy ends up finding George Emerson to be quite interesting. Yet the Emersons are seen as a little bit bohemian, or they're, they're kind of, they say what they mean, and they're philosophical, and they're irreverent, and they're a little bit quirky. <laughs> and Lucy just thinks George is, is kind of both scary and intriguing. And there's a very scandalous moment where they kiss in this field of violets. And <laughs> Charlotte sees it happen. And it's this whole thing. And it's just, oh, my goodness. And so they have to leave Italy under a cloud of scandal. Oh, and they go back home. And Lucy then meets this other guy named Cecil. And Cecil is a drip. Cecil is just awful. <laughs> And so the, the book is very much a comedy of manners, and it's kind of about the difference between these different class structures and whether Lucy should be with Cecil or whether she should be with George or whether she should just be by herself, which is another thing that she considers strongly. And Charlotte very much represents the Victorian period and puritanical, you know, ideas. And Lucy is the Edwardian period and enlightenment and trying to be a little bit less imbued with classism and stuff. And it's also, mm -hmm. it's a problem too, because Lucy's family is a little bit of the genteel quasi poor, her mother's a widow, and they don't have a lot of money. And so Lucy marrying into the wealthy family of Cecil's family is seen as a much better match. And it's just very, it's very delightful. There's a lot of interesting philosophy. The language is so beautiful. There's just a lot of really lovely moments that are well stated. And, and yeah, the characters are all very funny and appealing. And it has, I think it owes a lot to Jane Austen. And I think Forster was very much inspired by her because, you know, it's not as famous as a Jane Austen cast of characters, but I think the characters in this book are just as charming and, and funny and interesting. There's like the eccentric chaplain, Mr. Beebe, and the elderly traveler sisters, Miss Lavish. And like, it's just, it's just fun. So yeah, there's a really great cool. film version from 1985 with a very, very young Helena Bonham Carter as Lucy. And <laughs> it's just, it's adorable. So that's my pick. And I think you would awesome. absolutely adore it. It's very much up your alley. I think I would too. I'm not quite sure why I haven't ever really gotten into it. But yeah, I'll definitely pick it up and try it again. Cool. What about you? What's your top book of all time? Oh, I can't really 
pick one book as my absolute top. But I picked one just as one of the top, if that makes sense. Yes. So I'm not going to say it's my absolute favorite of all time, but it's one of my favorites. And it's I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. Oh. Have you read it? I have not read it. No. I mean, I've heard the title before. I don't even think I know too much about what it's about. So yeah, tell me all about okay. it. Well, it's charming. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it came out in 1948, and it's set in the 30s in England, I think. I first read it in high school, and I've read it two or three times total. But it was really formative reading it in high school. Because yeah, it was one of the first books that I read that I was like, I relate so much to this character. I love this writing so much. Like my copy of it has like every other line underlined. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, so it's about the Mortmain family. Cassandra Mortmain is the main character. And it's presented in the form of her diary. Mm-hmm. Her father is a novelist, and he had great success from his first book, but he hasn't published anything since, and it's been a long time. And they they live in like this old rundown castle, and it's got it's got a tower, and he like locks himself in the tower to write, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say that he's not really writing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cassandra's mom has died, so he, her father got married again, and the second wife's name is Topaz, <laughs> and she's just really a free spirit, <laughs> and she, like, will run around outside naked and enjoys communing with nature, and she's just, like, totally disconnected from what 1930s, like, genteel society should be, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then there are two children. So Cassandra's the younger one and her older sister, Rose. And it starts out sort of slice of life. I think the first line is like, I write this sitting in the kitchen sink. <laughs> she's just she's just sitting in, in the kitchen and describing the, their life and, you know, the people in her family and that they're living in this sort of rundown place. So everything's a little bit like cold and... They're not super satisfied, right? Mm-hmm. But they have this they have this kind of nice like life that they mostly like. But Rose is the one who is way less satisfied. She wants to like marry rich and get out of there. So the story really kind of starts when a pair of brothers, Neil and Simon Cotton, inherit a hall nearby and they become the Mortmain's new landlords. They're very different. Neil was raised in California by their English father, and Simon was raised in New England by their mother. So Neil's sort of more carefree, and Simon's more scholarly and stoic and things like that. So their lives intersect with the Mortmains, and I I don't want really want to like give too much away, but the brothers become really instrumental in the sisters' lives, and you know Cassandra's seventeen. And she falls in love for the first time, and things get kind of crazy and mixed up. And I don't want to like I don't <laughs> don't want to give anything away. I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. I just kind of I love the characters. They're very quirky, and I love the writing. The end to me is bittersweet, and I think that's 
that's probably what made it for me one of my top favorites because it doesn't quite end like you maybe would expect. Uh-huh. But the whole point of the book is that Cassandra wants to capture the castle in words, so capture her family and the way they live in her journal. And it's it's more about that growing up process uh-huh. than it is about anything else. So yeah, I I think I was like 16 or 17 when I read it and she's 17 and it just really really connected with me. That sounds lovely. I'll I'll give that a shot. Yeah. yeah, I don't I didn't know anything about it really. So Yeah, I think you would find it very interesting. Cool. Awesome. Well, then we also curated little little tiny lists for each other that we are things that we think the other person would like of things that we like. So, yeah, do we want to go by category or do you want to share your whole list or how do you want to do that? I think we should go by category. Okay. So since we're kind of on this book thing, why don't you tell me what mm-hmm. book you recommended for me? Okay. So the point of this list in my mind was to try to recommend things that you would like, mm-hmm. not just things that I like mm-hmm. that you might probably wouldn't. And I was trying to get things that you probably have not consumed yet. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you haven't consumed this, mm-hmm. but the book I chose is Bel Canto by Anne Patchett. Oh, no, I have not read that. Okay. So it's very interesting. It's about a businessman who who loves opera, and he gets invited to an unnamed country. I think it's in South America, but I can't quite remember, for this business deal. And to sweeten the deal, they invite his favorite opera singer. But there's a hostage situation. Like the... <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds really silly, but the compound that they're in gets taken over, and... The whole book takes place within this hostage situation. Mm. I just really like the way she writes, and I think her ideas are really cool. And I think you would, it's, I think it's a book that you would appreciate. Cool. That sounds really good. I've, I put it on my list along with I Captured the Castle. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so my choice for you, I don't know if you've read this already, but you may not have, but I think you would really enjoy it based on stuff that you've been watching and reading lately. Mm-hmm. And that's Kindred by Octavia Butler. Have you read that? I have actually. Oh no! But it was very, I'm sorry. It was very good though. Yeah. You can recommend me another Octavia Butler book. Well, actually, my second <laughs> choice was going to be The Namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri. Have you read that? I have not. Okay. It's not a fantasy like Kindred is, but it's about a young man who is um, an Indian American and he's first generation. His parents were immigrants from the Bengali region of India. And the father is coming to America to work in academia. The mother is a housewife, but their marriage was arranged. Yet you get the idea that they come to love each other. But the son, Gogol, he feels very conflicted about a lot of things about his upbringing. And he feels very American. And there is a lot of tension about his first name, because he was named after Nikolai Gogol, the Russian author. And he doesn't like that his name is Russian instead of Indian. And he also doesn't like that it's not American sounding. So he sometimes goes by Nick instead of Nikolai. So he feels a little bit out of place a lot of the time. He goes through periods of time where he dates white women and he feels sort of like he's their token Indian boyfriend. And it's, yeah, and it goes all the way up through his young adulthood of getting married and establishing his life. And it's it's just very beautifully written. Um, Jhumpa Lahiri has a lovely way with words, and yet her writing is also very simple. It's kind of, it's sort of elegant, but also spare. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. 
I just like the way it's written. And I think the neat thing, I love books where they kind of follow the character through a lot of their life and even follow mm. their parents and stuff because you get this multi-generational sense of the family. And the cool thing is that a lot of the stuff that Gogol like rebels against, you saw that his parents meant well because you saw what, what their rationale was when they were getting established in the U.S. And mm -hmm. so then he comes off as ungrateful, but also he doesn't have that information and you do as the reader. And so it's it's like almost sad, but none of it's really tragic. It's just the little growing pains of a family. So I really like that. Okay, great. That sounds really wonderful. I've read some of Jhumpa Lahiri's short stories and I really, really like them. So I should definitely, yeah, pick this up. Yeah, do it. Awesome. So the next thing I have on my list is TV show. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tried really hard with this one. This <laughs> one was really hard. So I'm going off of things that you have been consuming lately. Mm -hmm. And this, just the sort of style. I hope you haven't watched this, but you, maybe you have. Less Than Perfect. Oh. Have no. you heard of that? No. What is that? So it ran from 2002 to 2006. Okay. And it's a half hour comedy. It's a workplace comedy. Mm -hmm. It ran on ABC. It stars Sarah Rue and Sherry Shepard. So it centers on Claude, played by Sarah Rue, who works at a television network called GNB. Okay. So she starts out as a temp, but then she gets hired to be one of the anchor's assistants. And the anchor is played by Eric Roberts oh. and Andrea. P <laughs> you okay? Yeah, no, he's funny. I Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Andrea Parker also stars Zachary Levi, Andy Dick, and Patrick Warburton. Oh, wow. It's just really cute. I haven't watched it in a really long time. I watched some of it when it was like airing, mm -hmm. and I remember really liking it. I honestly don't know if it's streaming anywhere, <laughs> <laughs> so it might not even be a good choice. But I think if you can find it, I think that it would be right up your alley. That sounds adorable. And I, I feel <laughs> like now that you're describing it, I remember it. I didn't watch it when it was on. But yeah, that sounds really cute and very similar to some things I've been watching lately. So I'll see if I can find it. The one I recommend, I'm recommending for you, mostly because I know you're, you haven't watched it yet, and we're going to do a longer segment on this later, but it's The Good Fight. And so okay. when you move, I want you to get CBS All Access so you can, <laughs> so you can watch this. <laughs> okay. And the reason I think you would like it, and I, I'm pretty sure you'll like it, is that it's so like women with taking power and being mad about <laughs> the state of the world. <laughs> and it's so cathartic and like... I mean, I, I like that it demonstrates people trying really hard to do the right thing through using the legal system as appropriately as possible. But there is tension about, you know, who are you representing and, and what's their motive? And are we really representing good clients? And what are we fighting for and against? And it's very much of its era. It started in 2017 when Trump was inaugurated and it's, it's continued on till now and it's going to have a fifth season. And so it's kind of this little flashback into what the last four years have felt like mm. for people who may have felt frustration in <laughs> the state of the world. So <laughs> yeah, it's not that it's about the Trump administration, but it is about people's, it's partially about some people's reactions to it and what they have chosen to do with that feeling. So okay, yeah. And it's, it's funny. I like that it's a, it's a legal quote unquote drama, but it's almost more of a comedy. So that Oh, I like that interplay of comedy drama. And it goes into moments that are patently absurd at times, which are just kind of delightful. So yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, if I get CBS All Access, <laughs> I will definitely start that. Yeah, cool. 
I know that you and Robin really like it a lot, so I'm excited to to start it. Cool. Yay. All right. So the next thing I have is movie, and I chose Blow the Man Down. Oh. Have you have you watched it or heard I've of it? I've never even heard of that. Okay. I think it started as an independent movie, but it got picked up by Amazon, so it's on Amazon Prime. Okay. IMDb says 2019, but I think it it like came out on Amazon this year. It's about two sisters, Mary Beth and Priscilla, who are played by Sophie Lowe and Morgan Saylor. And one of the sisters has a run-in with a dangerous man, and they have to cover up the aftermath of the (laughs) run-in. But to do so, they kind of get involved in their town's criminal underbelly, is what the, the synopsis says. So they live in a tiny town off the coast of Maine, and their mom dies and leaves them their fish fishery operation. They sell fish. I don't think they catch fish. And it's full of, like, bizarre characters. (laughs) Like, it's a pretty low-budget movie, I think. But I, I can't even describe it very well because... It took off in directions I didn't think it was going to take off in. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's so unusual Mm. that you would enjoy it. But it's also very, very female heavy, female centric. So there are a lot of lady characters in it. (laughs) A lot of lady characters. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this like cohort of older women who kind of are nosy and they want to know what's going on around town. Two of the ladies in that are played by June Squibb and Annette O'Toole. And then Margot Martindale plays a character who this group is sort of at odds with because she runs a brothel. (laughs) (laughs) And she might be like a drug runner. uh, (laughs) Oh, goodness. But it's very, very weird and out there. And I think you would, I think you would appreciate it. Cool. That sounds very quirky. (laughs) I like that. I wrote it down. Cool. Okay. So... I've got a couple different recommendations in case we mm-hmm. come upon something that you've already seen. So to to appeal to your fantasy lover, have you ever seen Ooh. Lady Hawk? I, you know what? I have. Have you? Okay. Because <laughs> one of my friends really likes it and we like made a special trip to the library to go borrow it so we could all watch it. <laughs> nice. Did you like it? Yeah, it was, re- it was really interesting. Cool. Okay. Well, that was going to be my first recommendation for and for for listeners that's 1985 fantasy film. I totally recommend it. It's great. (laughs) So my second choice recommendation is going to be something that we were talking about before we started recording today, and that's Krampus from 2015, because you said you were interested, we're in that liminal space between Halloween and Christmas, and you were looking for something that might appeal to your newfound interest in horror movies, but also be a holiday movie. So here you go. (laughs) Plus, it's a comedy, so it's got some silliness there and it's got a lot of great people in it adam scott tony collette david keckner the poor late conchata farrell uh, in one of her last roles and it's a dysfunctional family at christmas time and the son in the family writes a letter to santa but out of frustration with how little his family was getting along he rips it up and it kind of goes up the chimney and and so instead of santa finding his letter it's krampus who is the (laughs) krampus is the Austro-Bavarian folkloric figure of like the anti-Santa Claus, basically. He's super creepy and has chains and horns, and it's just a very upsetting figure. And so instead of granting you your greatest Christmas wishes, Krampus like 
tortures you essentially emotionally and <laughs> sometimes physically, but mostly emotionally. Okay. So Krampus comes to the house and just lays siege on it while the family is <laughs> huddled in there, sheltering, <laughs> trying to survive. I will say it's mostly very funny. It's horror, but it's it's a little bit more family-oriented horror. It's kind of on the lines with like gremlins or something. So it's not that okay. upsetting. But um but yeah, and it's just kind of a fun ride and some of the some of the actors are just brilliant in it. Yeah. So it's almost like there's bits of it that remind me of Christmas vacation. And so it's like an inverted Christmas vacation. <laughs> okay. Interesting. I'm surprised I hadn't heard of this before. Okay, yeah. I think it's worth a rental. I think it's pretty fun and the effects are very good and it's just kind of bizarre so <laughs> awesome i am looking forward to it cool nice well the last thing we have i put album slash artist okay i'm not quite sure if i know of any band that you don't know of. <laughs> <laughs> so i don't have a backup but i put the national oh yeah i've heard of them but i don't i haven't really heard them too much yeah Okay, I'll take that because <laughs> I don't know what else to pick. But yeah, they're honestly, I can't even describe music genres very well. But I guess they're sort of like alt rock. I really like them a lot. And they have sort of intriguing lyrics and just some, sometimes their lyrics are just straight up weird. But I really I don't know. I like their sound a lot. So I, I think that you might dig them. Cool. I probably would. Yeah, that's kind of a genre that I like a lot. And I'm that's a band that I think I don't know why I haven't already gotten into them. So yeah, cool. <laughs> cool. And for you, I, I pulled a specific album. Okay. So I'm always foisting David Bowie on people. And you know that <laughs> and I've foisted him on you before. But specifically his record Hunky Dory. Okay. If you wanted just one specific record to listen to, I think that is one that you would like. It's from 1971. So it's older, but it has a little bit more of a folk sort of sensibility but it's also oh. like some of the songs are almost like as if they're from musicals that never existed so it's a weird intersection of folk and musical theater and he's got albums that are folksier and he's got albums that are also more theatrical but this one is a neat transitional period and it's one of my favorites but it's just got some songs that are really cute really catchy and a little bit more like acoustic guitar driven Nice. So yeah, I think you would, I think you would dig it. And there's one song that's called Fill Your Heart. And it's a cover of a song by Paul Williams, who is like the quintessential 1970s songwriter. And it's a very okay. dorky song, but it's also kind of charming. And it's one of those songs that like, if you're in a bad mood, it's like a cute little pick me up. So <laughs> cool. Yeah, that sounds really great. I, I will put that on my list. Thank cool. you. You're welcome. Well, we have so much to like consume you've given me such good ideas and i want to get some more nancy drew in my life too that's great nice i'm so excited i hope i hope you like that thank you well next week we'll talk about more great pop culture topics our theme music is by joseph mcdade you can find me on twitter at carrie gessner and you can find me on twitter at kw taylor writer and you can find us together on twitter at pause pop podcast if you want to email us you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop.